Deep Exploration, Life's Rediscovery. Welcome to Meaningful Conversations. I'm Batya Yeniger. And I'm Tani Burton. Join us as we dive into the big topics and exchange experiences and insights with extraordinary people. Let's uncover together what it truly means to be who we're meant to be. Fitness is more than just a physical endeavor. It serves as a powerful tool for life transformation. Beyond the realm of toned muscles and increased endurance, engaging in fitness activities can profoundly impact your overall well-being, mindset, and outlook on life. Whether it's breaking through personal limitations, overcoming obstacles, or finding newfound strength, the journey towards fitness often unveils a broader spectrum of transformation. In this exploration, we're going to look into the meaning of fitness as a catalyst for personal growth, resilience, and the pursuit of a healthier, more fulfilling life. Now, I've looked over the past couple of days at two extensive meta-analyses, and the evidence overwhelmingly supports the profound impact of exercise on mental health, which is something that's obviously interesting to us as therapists. And it did so particularly in alleviating depressive symptoms. I think what I saw was across 41 randomized controlled trials, the findings from one study showcased a significant positive effect of exercise interventions compared to control conditions. Like if you were not exercising, you did not experience these benefits. And this effect persists regardless of factors such as risk of bias, depression classification, it doesn't matter what kind of depression you have, even the exercise type itself, or the group setting, or the supervision, or the sample size. Just, it works. And also the benefit extends beyond move improvement. Exercise also is a compelling contender against traditional treatments. Literally, in many of these studies, exercise was better for you than any psychiatric intervention. This is like amazing. And not just psychiatric intervention, not just medication, even psychotherapy itself. And this is actually something that I've worried about for many years because it's been something that I've noted, you know, being a psychotherapist and saying to myself, well, wow, you know, here's this amazing tool that we have to help people. And then I was just finding for my own self, because there's times when I've been in therapy and then there's times where I've just been in the gym and I noticed that what was really moving me forward more than anything else was my involvement in exercise. And that was scary because I'm sitting there doing talk therapy with people when I know that there's this unbelievably powerful modality for helping people, which is like you can't deny the effects of it. Now, the robust conclusions that were derived from these studies basically underscores the transformative potential of regular exercise for mental well-being and offers a very practical and accessible avenue for enhancing mood and combating depression. But that's not all. When we talk about resistance training specifically, 
that's also a superhero against the aging process, which is something of interest to all of us. It helps keep our muscles strong. It fights off the usual wear and tear that comes with getting older. When we do resistance training, our muscles get signals to grow, become more controlled, and gain strength. This whole process is regulated by insulin, amino acids, and something called mTOR. It also, it, resistance training not only boosts our metabolism, making it easier to burn calories, but it also triggers a repair process in our muscles that lasts up to 72 hours after each session. Over time, as we keep training, our muscles get bigger and we naturally burn more calories. But the benefits of resistance training go beyond muscles. It's a defender of our bones too, especially for women before and after menopause. Resistance training helps increase bone density, making bones stronger, has also very impressive effects on our health, like lowering the risk of diabetes, improving how our body deals with fats, and reducing the chances of metabolic issues. Resistance training even brings positive change to our thinking abilities, protects against conditions like dementia. On a personal level, people who do resistance training often feel better about themselves, they sleep better, and experience less anxiety, less depression. So it's not just about lifting weights. It's about boosting overall well-being and becoming a healthier, happier you. Today, we are delighted to have Efrat Lave as our special guest. Efrat's story is one of remarkable transformation from a sedentary lifestyle marked by childhood challenges like asthma and scoliosis to becoming a CrossFit coach and power lifter. Born in Israel and later immigrating to Australia, eventually back to Israel, Efrat's journey took unexpected turns, leading her to discover the transformative power of fitness. With determination and resilience, she not only conquered physical hurdles, but also found a passion for strength training, eventually becoming a certified CrossFit Level 1 trainer. Join us as we unravel Efrat's inspiring journey and explore the profound impact that fitness has had on her life. Efrat, welcome. Thank you so much. Well, what an intro. I'm so happy to be here. So how did you go from your background of asthma and scoliosis to becoming a CrossFit coach and power lifter? So as you mentioned, I grew up in Australia from the age of five to 19. And in Australia, sports was a very big part of life. Um, I can just see the difference. You know, I've got, thank God, three children and the amount of sport that they do in school and the amount of sport that we had to do in school is considerably different. Um, in Australia, sports is uh, very much emphasized and I think it's a great thing. But as you mentioned, I had some challenges. I had asthma, uh, which got quite severe in high school. And I also suffered from scoliosis um, to the point where I had to wear a back brace um, in my high school years. Um, it severely limited uh, my mobility. And I think from what I hear nowadays, there is a lot more awareness. But when I was growing up, I was told basically only to swim. And I did Feldenkrais, which was really good, but 
I always look back and think, you know, if only someone had put a bar on my back and told me to squat, what kind of person I, I could have been um, and how much pain that would have saved me because my journey to fitness only started when I was 32 years old. Um, so I am now 41. We're talking nine years. I have, like I mentioned, three children, thank God. And I had very difficult pregnancies with all my kids, mm. culminating with my final pregnancy with my daughter, who is now 10. And I suffered from a condition called hyperemesis gravidarum, which um, means that you basically throw up relentlessly, um, sometimes throughout the entire pregnancy. And with my daughter, I was throwing up the entire pregnancy up to and including birth. Um, I was bedridden. I had multiple other conditions because of the relentless vomiting. I was hospitalized when I was uh, three months pregnant, weighing 46 kilos. Mm. Um, so very underweight. I was having kidney problems, um, heart, heart problems. And during the pregnancy, I had to also see a cardiologist. And he told me that if I don't start getting fit and if I don't start moving, um, I'm going to have the heart of an 80-year-old. And I think one of the problems in medicine, and I'm allowed to say this because my husband's a doctor, is that it's very specialized. So a lot of the times they don't see the bigger picture. And when he told me that, I, I almost laughed in his face because I wasn't even able to get up from my bed and walk to the bathroom, let alone um, start getting fit. You know, I was I was fortunate that I was able to get home care um, because my husband is a doctor and he was able to give me the IVs. I wasn't able to keep anything down. Um, I had to get medication that uh, people who undergo chemotherapy have. That's that's the standard medication um, that's given for hyperemesis to prevent the nausea, um, which helps or, or doesn't help. <laughs> um, so like I said, I was throwing up until, until birth. But I promised myself that after I would give birth to my daughter, I would start doing something. And like I said, I started from scratch because I had never, I had never been fit. I was always that kid sitting on the side when they pick teams, you know, and it was very embarrassing to be always that last kid picked out. Um, and I would always make excuses for myself why, why I couldn't participate in PE classes. Um, either using my asthma or my scoliosis as an excuse because I was ashamed. I was ashamed that I couldn't run and I couldn't jump and that I wasn't as fast as anyone else or as coordinated as everyone else. I was quite clumsy and still am, by the way. Um, I guess I'll touch upon that later. But the amazing thing is that you really don't need talent to do this. I am not talented by any means. I literally have to do something hundreds of times until it gets into my head. Um, but I, I decided after my daughter was born to literally just start walking and I had to learn to walk again because I was bedridden for nine months. And I remember the first couple of days, the goal was to get from my bed to the bedroom door and then it was from my bed to the front door and then to the bottom of my street and then to the end of the street and then around the block. And for about six months, I was walking just with my daughter using her stroller as kind of a walker because I was so weak. I was so physically weak after those nine months that I couldn't walk. Um, and for about six months, I just started walking um, and built that up slowly. Um, 
my heart rate just, you know, just so that you could understand how unfit I was, um, was reaching about 180 beats per minute just from walking, just from walking. That's how bad it was. I was in really bad shape. I was really beat up. Um, So I started from scratch. (laughs) And I had a neighbor at the time who was a personal trainer, and I asked her if she could come and train me while my daughter was asleep. And um, that's what she did. And she asked me what my goal was. And as a coach these days, I can I can say that about 90% of the people who walk into our gym tell me that they want to lose weight. <laughs> you know, I didn't have weight to lose. I told her I want to be strong. Um, I had reached a very rock bottom point in my pregnancy in which I hadn't showered for three days because I was so sick and couldn't get out of bed. And my husband had to actually carry me to the bathroom. And I remember if, if you read accounts of women with hyperemesis, you know, you think it's only throwing up, but it's so debilitating that you feel like you're going to die. And I remember when he picked me up, the, the nausea was just so overpowering and I was so sick and in so much pain that I, I screamed at him. I'm like, make this stop. And, and I know as a mother, it sounds horrific, but at that point, I just didn't want to be pregnant anymore. And I had, and that's my rock bottom point. And I guess when later on we'll talk about that mindset that you mentioned, Tani, um, I always look back to that, to that rock bottom point um, because it gave me so much motivation to keep going. So is and- that like, you know, when you hit rock bottom, people often say that's when you turn around. So would you say that's Absolutely. like your turning point? Absolutely. That was my turning point and that set the scene for, for the goal that I had in mind when I told my personal trainer that I want to be strong. And she put one kilo dumbbells in my hands and it was love at first sight, really. I don't know what it was I, about those dumbbells that just gave me something attainable that I could work to. And those first sessions weren't pretty. <laughs> you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do a knee push up without collapsing i couldn't i couldn't jog on the spot for 30 seconds without falling into a heap on the floor but there was something about those dumbbells when i took them into my hands i didn't think that you know it would turn into 150 kilos but it it was the start of something and i worked with her for about six weeks and um i should mention that my husband also does iron man so the fitness world isn't foreign to me and we do have a home gym but I had never stepped foot into it other than to hang my laundry <laughs> that's the other thing to use it for um, but I started after the six weeks with her I started working in our home gym um, looking at YouTube videos literally teaching myself how to do basic movements squat bench deadlift which I fell in love with those three movements and that's what um, what eventually led me to compete in powerlifting um, and then after about a year of doing that, um, one of my friends told me that there's something called CrossFit that just opened in a front and that I should try it. And I said to her, me, me train in front of other people? Like, I'm embarrassed. But for <laughs> people who said, don't know what CrossFit is, like, what, what, is, right. uh, what is CrossFit? So, so CrossFit is basically, it started in America. And it involves high-intensity uh, training, which is called HIT. 
um, you might know it as HIT. But the beauty about CrossFit is that it encompasses a lot of areas of fitness. Let me you know, let me slow you down. Why don't why don't we why don't we explain what uh, high intensity interval training is? So it basically means that you work on full power for a, a small amount of time, on and off, and it it has been shown that it has really good effects on both uh, power and stamina and uh, endurance. So, you know, you might know it as um, sometimes circuit training, they do that, or there's something called Les Mills that's really taken off. Um, but CrossFit, the beauty of CrossFit is that it uses functional movements. So movements like the squat, um, core to extremity movements, you know, you don't see us working on uh, single muscles you know, curling your biceps. We work the whole body um, and we incorporate both endurance and strength training. So you'll you'll see CrossFitters running and then five seconds later, they'll be lifting a bar. Mm-hmm. And there's something magical about that combination. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I first stepped into a CrossFit gym having never moved in front of people, extremely self-conscious, um, have, having only just started my journey to strength for, you know, a couple of months. And I guess the coach saw something in me that I didn't see. Um, but I slowly started building myself up. Like in CrossFit was where I really discovered my strength. There's something about training with other people that that are supportive that really helps you to push yourself beyond any limitations that you thought you had. And um, after about a year, um, the head coach, who is today my boss, <laughs> told me, you should go to Wingate <laughs> and get certified. And I had been home for 11 and a half years as a stay-at-home mom. And in my previous, uh, my previous life, I had, been, um, I had been working in public relations. I have a degree in international relations and English literature. So this was a complete 180-degree turn in the middle of my life. And I went to Wingate for a year, got certified as a gym coach, and after that went on to do the CrossFit um, Level 1 uh, seminar. And during that time, I also got myself a powerlifting coach and started competing in powerlifting. And um, yeah, <laughs> the rest is so history. It, it sounds like it, it's not that you knew you were going to get that far uh, right from the beginning, but each step oh, along the way, you realized you could go further. <laughs> if someone would have told me you know, 10 years ago that this is where I'd be today, I would have laughed in their face. It's like, it's, I don't know if you want to call it a comedy or, or, or fantasy, but absolutely not. Yeah. Can I ask you a, just to take us back to the beginning of this journey? Uh, There's a few technical details here. You started with what we call the big three lifts, the squat and deadlift and bench press which is the core of powerlifting. Um, and then you went from there to CrossFit and then certification at Wingate. How long did that process take you from the beginning, from, from the, let's say, the time you lifted your first one kilo dumbbell to your certification at Wingate? So my daughter was born in 2013. 
Um, and she was born in October and I spent a couple of months walking. So I lifted my first one kilo dumbbell, which I still have, by the way. I keep it there to look at, to remind myself where I started. Um, I lifted that in 2014. And I walked into CrossFit, must have been 2016, um, got my Wingate certification in 2017. And I think 2016 or 17 was when I did my first powerlifting meet. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, so that's amazing. I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, um, you're starting this whole journey at the age of 32. Yeah. With a body that you basically didn't use. That's right. And you're, and you're beginning the process at a point in your life where there's already wear and tear. There's already some muscle loss. There's, you've been through this, you know, this hyperemesis and uh, this very difficult pregnancy. It's not like you're starting at 16 or 18 or even 25, which is like considered to be like that peak of uh, continuing muscle development. So you're really having to take a rusty body out of the, out of the garage yep. in order to start doing this. And it's not overnight. You know, it's not like, okay, you can lose, you know, if it, you didn't want to lose weight, but it's not like, okay, you can lose 50 pounds in two weeks or you can become Mr. Olympia, you know, in, in, in six weeks. It is a 36 month journey of continued consistent investments over time that results in a complete and utter transformation. It's remarkable because people have to know what they're getting into, meaning to say, you're not going to be a different person the next day. Maybe not even a month from now. You'll start to see gains. You'll start to see changes in the way you feel. But that moment where you, where you realize that you've, you have rebuilt yourself completely. You'll see that. You'll see that in 36 months for sure. So that's an incredible, uh, meaning that even though you have to have the stamina to get through 36 months of that, 36 months is a relatively short time to completely transform your life. So that's, that's yeah. remarkable. And, and it, it makes me think, when I think about the suffering that you go through until you get there. So how do you endure that? Viktor Frankl said, what is to give light must endure burning. So, so you have to put the work in and you, you're, not, you're not seeing the results yet. And how do you do that? Uh, what kind of person have you become as a result of that? So I love that. I love the quote. Um, that you quoted by Viktor Frankl. I think, you know, Tani, you mentioned that it's it's a process. It, you know, it is 36 months, but 36 months, you know, in today's world, I don't know if today's world has room for that because we're used to seeing, you know, 30-day challenge, 90-day challenge. I don't believe in that because I'm in this till 120, please, God. This is 
This is something that I want to do forever, please God. And in today's society, I think that people don't want to be uncomfortable. You know, there's the whole body positivity movement, which definitely has its place, but um, in its extreme form, Mm. um, (laughs) in its extreme Mm. form, we see that it doesn't allow people to to go into that place of discomfort. And you quoted Viktor Frankl. I want to quote to you um, a guy that I discovered when I was in the beginning of my journey. You may have heard of him. His name is David Goggins. And he's an incredible, he's had such an impact, such a profound impact on my journey. And um, his quote um, says, it hurts, but that's all it does. The most difficult part of the training is training your mind. You build calluses on your mind to endure the pain. There's only one way to do that. You have to get out there and run. Mm. Um, Listen, I have calluses on the mind. You know, when I look at the calluses on my hand that I have from lifting, it doesn't compare to what I've built up here. And I had to invent someone that didn't exist. You know, I, I also, I should mention I'm an only child. I don't have siblings. I was coddled, you know, my parents didn't like to see me suffer. And I remember literally in those first days looking at myself in the mirror and saying something that today might be regarded as self-abuse. I looked in the mirror and I said to myself, you are a lazy piece of good for nothing and you need to do something and you need to change. And that drove me, that gave me a lot of strength because I believed that I had room to improve. And, um, you know, these days when I, when I go and lift almost triple my body weight, you can't, you can't do that by telling yourself nice things. You have to let something in yourself crash and burn. I always, you know, I always talk about there's like, there's a devil on my shoulder, like saying things to me and I have to turn around and look at him. Um, it's, it's not, it's not rosy. So I I do believe that you have to suffer. And I also believe that if you need to suffer, the best place to do it is in the gym because life sucks. You know, life isn't easy. And if you can take the suffering that you overcome in the gym and use the resilience and the tools that you build in the gym to overcome difficulties, you'll go out in life and overcome difficulties. Oh, beautiful. Wow. And if we go back to that moment where you hit rock bottom and turned around like that, were you motivated at that point? What was motivating you? Was it just not wanting to be in pain anymore or was there a greater value? I think at that moment when, and you know, it's difficult for me to say this, but at that moment, I, I didn't want to be pregnant anymore. And that I, I think as a mother, you can't hit more rock bottom than that when you look at your children and how much how much joy it brings you at the end of, of a difficult journey. But when you feel like, like you're dying, you do anything to stop it. Um, but the shame of having to have my own husband carry me to the bathroom I just Mm. didn't want to be there anymore. I did not want to be there. And I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be strong for myself. I wanted to be strong 
for my children and for my family. I didn't want to have to rely on on anyone anymore. I was 32 years old. I wasn't an old woman, but I felt like one. So this is a story of what it's like to feel that total loss of autonomy. Absolutely. Uh, that total inability to be the one choosing what's happening in your life. So, I mean, it's, it, goes beyond, um, it goes beyond just being physically unavailable for the things that you want to provide for other people. It's, it, goes, it goes to a, a more primal level of just not having any control over yourself. Definitely, 100%. Well, that's, like that's... you said, it's, it's the choice. The choice to have autonomy over your body and later on discovering that if you just push, if you learn how to be, if you learn how to get comfortable with being very uncomfortable, you can push your body and your mind to places that you never thought would be possible. Was it linear? Was this something that you were able to do in a linear fashion? Were there ups and downs with it? I'll ask you just from this standpoint. If you're starting this process, 32 is certainly not old, right? But, but knees, you know, squats are, they're not just uncomfortable. They're also terrifying at times. That dread that a person can feel when they're looking at the bar on the rack that they're about to put across their shoulders and that, that thought that you're going to go into the hole, you know, you're going to get down into that position, which has terrible leverage, which is why it's a good movement, right? Because, like, pu pulling yourself out of the hole is, is a uh, – it's not so easy to just, like, jump right in there and do that. So, I mean, like, a little thing like that, how, how did you deal with it? You said it wasn't linear. That there no. were probably times when you were really motivated and probably times when – Oh, God, not again. You know, that, tell, us, uh, tell us about that. There, there's a coach that I, I can't remember his name, so forgive me, but there's something called the rule of thirds. A third of your workouts, how do you know that your, that your program is good? A third of your workouts are going to be okay. A third of your workouts are going to be great. And a third of your workouts are going to absolutely suck. It's in those third that suck that, those are the workouts that count the most because it's not linear. I think as a novice, you know, when I first started out and we know this scientifically that a novice will have mostly linear progress. And that's, that's good news for people who haven't started their journey yet and want to start is that the moment you're going to pick up that dumbbell and you're going to go for it, you're going to start seeing results pretty quickly and it's going to go up and up. But then as you become an intermediate lifter and for sure an advanced lifter, you're going to reach a lot of hurdles. Right. But you know what? At that point, you've built up quite a bit of discipline and you don't need motivation anymore because I can tell you, if I had to count on motivation to keep going, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> there so, it is. There it is. That, that is a critical point there. Let's talk about the difference between motivation and discipline. 
And how, and what advice do you give to people who don't have discipline? So, so first of all, the the motivation. I think motivation is um, is unreliable. You know, if you're going to wait until you're motivated to start, you're never going to start because motivation is so fleeting. You know, if you're going to wait for that for that high or for that moment of inspiration, yeah, maybe you'll get a workout or two in, but nothing beyond that. The most difficult step is walking through that door and and starting. But I can tell you that as, as a CrossFit coach, you know, and I see lots of people every day um, coming into our gym, I'd say about 70% of people who walk in, walk in, you know, oh, I don't want to be here. I don't feel like doing this. I have never seen someone after a workout who said they're sorry that they came. Um, so if you could just get yourself to walk through that door, you're going to be fine. And stop chasing perfection. You know, perfection versus um, versus the consistency is so much more because consistency will help you to keep motivated. Consistency will help you build that discipline that you're going to need to be there for you on most of the days when you're gonna when you're not gonna feel motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also think it's important for people to find something that they mostly like doing. And there's so much out there. You know, it doesn't have to be CrossFit. It doesn't have to be powerlifting. Find something that stirs you a little bit and and do it. Um, I know in CrossFit, because we have that group dynamic, often working out and training with somebody else, someone that can help you uh, keep accountable, someone that can keep you going when when it sucks. And it's going to suck. Um, Tanya, you mentioned that hole. Um, I got a really freak injury when I was in that hole in the middle of a squat with a lot of weight on my back and couldn't get out the hole and tore both my hamstrings. Um, and I had to start from scratch. Yeah. Um, I had to start from scratch again now, actually. Um, the first day that the war broke out, I had very complicated and extensive eye surgery. Um, and I wasn't allowed to lift anything heavier than, than my shoe for the last couple of months. And I went back to my uh, one kilo dumbbells <laughs> this, last, uh, this last month. Um and I had to take up spinning, which I absolutely despise, but I had to keep my fitness levels going. And I'm starting, I'm starting from scratch again. And it's very humbling and it's very difficult. But like I said, we're here for the long run. This isn't, this isn't a, a 90 day, 30 day challenge. We're in this for life. Um, I don't know if you want me to tell you uh, stories about clients, uh, how much, how profoundly this, this changed them. Um, just yeah, I think stories. that would help people. So yeah. um, thankfully, I train people of all uh, all ages, men and women, in different um, stages of life. I've had a woman in her 60s who's recovering from cancer, and one of the side effects of all the treatment that she's been getting is that she's had um, osteoporosis. And she came to us, and we started we started strength training. And about six or nine months later, she went for a bone scan, bone density scan, and her doctor told her, listen, I don't know what you've been doing, but whatever it is that you're doing, keep doing it. Um, and I've had another lady, an older lady, who, came, who walked in one day um, and said to me, I just want you to know that you've changed my life. 
And she said it was the first time that she had ever gotten off her recliner in years without having to hold on to something. Wow. And, you know, I definitely get a, a kick out of coaching the hardcore weightlifters, crossfitters. I, I train them as well. You know, I've got I've got soldiers, I've got competitive crossfitters. But I think where it matters the most is in these people because we see that with the elderly population, when do they have to go into into aged care? When they can't get off the toilet seat anymore by themselves. So if you if you are able to perform a body weight squat, you're good. And if you can do that with weights, then you're one step ahead of a of great amounts of the population. This is what Peter Atia has been speaking about. Obsessed. <laughs> the, the idea that you should be training at to some degree should be training for how you would like life to be in your marginal decade, like your last decade? What are the kind of things that you would like to be able to do at the age of 90? You know, would you like to be able to open jars? Would you like to be able to walk five miles? Would you like to be able to hold a, a great grandchild? And because there's a lot of that functional uh, stuff that happens that, you know, people lose it. They lose it because of sarcopenia. They lose it because of, of osteoporosis and these kinds of things. So we're talking about really an endeavor that doesn't just give you the opportunity to sweat and to push your limits, but also to guarantee things in a very long-term sense, way beyond the 90-day challenge. Yeah, it's not as if there's an inevitable decline but there's something that you can do and you can make yourself strong. Like you said, you wanted to make yourself strong and everybody can do it. Yeah. And on the flip side, the, 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 that, that, that feeling of absolute defeat and, and decline can be felt in any given moment of a person's life when there's just so, they just feel so not in control of any of these factors not in control of their body, their health. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what that means for, for the mindset. This is a question in terms of the turning point in your mindset and what that can mean for, for other people in adopting a more active and physically demanding lifestyle. So I think that, you know, like you said, there, there's going to be moments of defeat People need to know that going in. But, um, you know, you asked me, how do I get out of that hole? And I just want to explain that that hole in the squat is when, you know, you've gone in powerlifting, you have to squat below parallel, which is quite a deep squat where your hips have to go below your knees. If you don't squat to parallel, it's three red, three reds, what we call no lift. So, there's something about being in that position with over 100 kilos on your back, you know, and I, I compete in the 56 kilo category. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And as someone who has scoliosis, my back is always the first thing to give out when I have a lot of weight on me. And the amount of push, the amount of resistance that you have to have against that bar in order to stand up again is massive. And 
you know, having had such a traumatic injury, a lot of the times I'll remember that moment when my legs snapped, um, when I had that weight on my back. And it takes a lot of uh, psychological strength to overcome that. Um, and just going back to Goggins, who, again, he's just an incredible person. He He's had a life full of suffering and has gone on to be a Navy SEAL and an ultra marathonist. And he talks on, he talks about something called the cookie jar. And I think that concept is something that people can take away no matter what point in their uh, journey they are, whether they're young or old. There's something called the cookie jar mentality. And he talks about a mental cookie jar that he has in his mind. And again, he's had a life full of suffering and, I think most people have had difficulties and obstacles that they've had to overcome, whether in the gym or people who haven't started training yet and are having difficulties and are losing autonomy over their body. Surely there's been moments where there's been a victory, even even something very, very small that they've managed to overcome. And and that's a cookie. Goggins talks about, you know, when when you're out there and, and your mind and body is just tell, screaming at you to stop, that you don't have one more rep in you, that you can't go for five more seconds, you reach into that cookie yeah. jar and you remember that time that, you know, you managed to get up when you didn't feel like it. You managed to overcome some small obstacle. And the beauty about being in the gym is that the more training that you do, and like I said, a third of the workouts are going to suck when you're doing a good program. But if you manage to get through those workouts, you'll be able to fill your your cookie jar with so many cookies and be able to reach into that and tap into that when when it sucks and it's going to suck. But the the benefits that you'll reap will, will just be so much more beneficial and meaningful, and that's going to give you the motivation to keep on going. We could we could title this uh, you know this episode. It's going to suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and and that's and and it's also perfectly fine that it will you know because that's that's yeah. life. Because life, like I said, life sucks. Life throws obstacles at you, also outside of the gym. But if you can if you can invent a badass and be resilient and do it gracefully. You're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Please, God, with Hashem's help. Yeah. So there's a lot of wisdom that we've heard from you already. And uh, that last piece is the acceptance uh, of of just whatever it is uh, gives you a way forward. So that's the question that we wanted to – I'm not sure if this is the next to the last question or the last question because we kind of touched on – uh, what advice do you have for someone uh, already? And we've also heard some wisdom, but what life lessons have you gained? If there's something you want to add to what you've already said. Um, so I think if we go back to that progress, you know, sometimes in life you have a goal in mind and you think the progress is just going to be linear. Mm-hmm. And the second that it's not, that's when most people will fall off the wagon and just say, oh, screw it. Mm. But if you remember that the progress isn't linear, if you strive for consistency and not perfection in life, you're going to get places. Consistency over perfection. And remember that we're in here for the long haul, be it in the gym or outside of the gym. 
And don't be afraid to look at your real self in the eyes. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself by being too nice. Because in that truth, if you look at yourself in the mirror and see your flaws and tell yourself some harsh truths, it might actually push you to do something about it. And if you look at darkness, as scary as it is and as unpopular as it is these days, you will find a lot of light. But you have to believe in yourself. Yes, you have to believe in yourself. And again, if we go back to that cookie jar, reach into those places in in your life, into those moments that gave you reason to believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. Everybody has those moments. doesn't matter how small they are. I'm thinking that one of the things that was on your mind when you were being carried into the shower and having to deal with the shame of it was that you wanted to be strong for your family, you wanted to be strong for your children. Yeah. And that there's, there's an element, at least in the beginning of this whole thing, of really getting beyond yourself that this was of value because of what you felt called to be in the lives of other people. Yeah, 100%. Um, I should mention that the reason we moved to Australia was um, that my parents were sent by the Lubavitcher Rebbe to, to go on Shlichut in Australia. And my father was the rabbi of the Israeli community. Um, in Australia, which there is a, a large Israeli community and a large backpacking Israeli community. And uh, even though I was an only child, uh, my house, you know, would normally be very quiet. Um, it was always very open. We had a lot of people um, in our house. And the values that I gained from my parents and the community that I grew up in continue with me to this very day. And, you know, my dad tells me everyone has their shlichot and this is your shlichot to, to bring strength to people's lives and to show them what they're capable of. Um, no. You know, this isn't, it, this isn't just about me. If every, if all the suffering and pain that I went through stayed just for me, I don't think, I don't think I could say that I did something valuable, but I, I always say, you know, I, I really don't know what feels better when I break a record and, you know, thank God I, I have broken some Israeli records for my age group. Um, but when, when one of my clients breaks a record or, or goes beyond something that they thought they could do, I can honestly say hands on my heart that it feels better than when I break my own records. <laughs> yeah. You know, you made a difference. Yeah, Exactly. What are some of the common misperceptions, misconceptions? Let's, let me start that again. Misconceptions. What, what, what are some of the common misconceptions about women and strength training, and how do you work to dispel those? So, first of all, I think there is a growing um, awareness. Um, I'm actually um, I I'm on the committee of an organization called Women Who Lift Israel, which we founded and. We have, I don't know how many members we have now, but it's at least a thousand, if not more, um, in Israel of women who are discovering strength and resistance training. Um, one of the common misconceptions is that um, a woman who lifts is going to get bulky, is going to look like Schwarzenegger, 
Um, and another common misconception is that in order to, you know, everyone's looking to be toned these days. It's a very inward, but nobody really knows what that means, I find. And especially women, they think if, if they'll run 10 kilometers a day, they're going to get toned. And you basically have to teach them that getting toned involves also reducing fat, but also building muscle. And how are you going to build muscle if you don't do resistance or strength training? Yeah. So um, those are two very common misconceptions. And, you know, the moment you start working out with these ladies, they quickly realize um, the benefits of strength training and that it's nothing to be scared of. And oftentimes, you know, you, you walk into a CrossFit gym and you see some pretty scary and intimidating things, but not every woman has to lift 150 kilos in, in order to gain benefits or, or see results. Um, it's, it's very possible for a woman to train in a manner that she feels comfortable with um, and, and just slowly build it up, whether it's with dumbbells or with barbells or even with, with, with resistance bands, depending on the person um, and where they're at at that moment. Um, and one of the most beautiful things that I've found, especially with the girls, with teenage girls, and I mean, it is scary what's going on today with, with teenage girls, also teenage boys and, and eating disorders. The things that I, that I've heard them saying in the gym. Um, and, you know, in Wingate, we were asked specifically not to talk about food because apparently today you need a lot of, a lot of teaching and a lot of education and experience to deal with these things. But sometimes I, I, I'm just shocked by the things that I hear, you know, I'm not eating today or, or, you know, looking at, at, at their bodies and, and at each other and comparing. Um, and one of the most profound differences that I've found with, with women in particular is that when they start building strength, they care less about the number on the scale and um, less about what their body looks like and more about what their body can actually do. And I think that's a very, very important thing these days. Yeah. There's a it changes there's a, their whole uh, self-image and their. Yeah. Uh, and again, obviously, obviously that, you know, it is important to, to, you know, there is an obesity epidemic these days which causes a lot of diseases and, and we have to be mindful of that and, and and weight loss is a very valid and important goal for many people but for some people that obsession with the number on the scale can be extremely destruct destructive so giving them that um that strength goal can often be very very beneficial and also will help break a lot of stigmas about strength training a lot of people are just simply not educated yeah. as to what is going on in their body when they exercise or what parts of the body do you want to recruit in order to see the, the results that you want in order to have the total level of health. You gave an example of people who said, okay, I'm going to get toned by running 10 kilometers a day. Yeah. So, there, we're we're talking about a person recruiting slow twitch muscle fiber, and not touching upon fast twitch muscles, and running the risk of being, I think, what Dr. Gabrielle Lyons speaks about as being under muscled, which is 
which is really a health risk. Yes, yeah. says that it's not. It's not the you know the problem is not just that people are overly fat; they're underly muscled. That's right. And people don't understand the ramifications of that. You know, there's so many. I guess, and I don't want to bash the fitness community, but there is so much misinformation out there, and so many influencers who who don't have people's best interests at heart, and people often get misled. You know, they think if they drink a drink, a certain drink, or buy a certain supplement, it's going to be some magic cure. Or if they just lose X amount of weight, that's going to solve all their problems. We have to build muscle. We have to build muscle so that we have healthy joints, so that we have a frame that can support our body. Yeah, and the other way around, we have to look for, for the cardiovascular, you know, as a powerlifter, um, you know, obviously before meets, I will do very little cardio. And I can tell you that it's not necessarily healthy for me. And that's why it's important. That what's not healthy, that, the, that, that not doing the cardio or doing the cardio, which we... Not we, doing cardio and only doing strength, um, you know... Uh, I've, I've changed my, my programming before meets, but I remember there was one meet um, where I wasn't doing any cardio. I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs. And, you know, what good does that do? What good does lifting 150 kilos do if you can't walk up a flight of stairs without passing out? Right. <laughs> Sometimes in the real hardcore powerlifting competitions, you'll see like the, the crazy dudes getting oxygen after their lifts because they – that's not fitness. That's not fitness. And that's the beauty of CrossFit is that it incorporates all aspects of fitness, both endurance and strength. That's why it's good to have a trainer, right? Exactly. Exactly. People should find, and, you know, going back to all the information that's out there, I think the best thing a person can do for themselves, at least temporarily, is find a coach that knows what they're talking about, um, you know, that's bases their their training and their programming on on research and the research is out there this this endeavor also becomes more important not less important as you get older I mean, we, we, we have an image of young people being fit i saw somewhere that the biggest constituent consumer population of of for personal training is largest in the up to 17 years old category and over 55. And this, this balance between cardiovascular fitness and strength becomes so critical more and more as you age because of the problems of sarcopenia, because at some point in time, fat begins to invade muscle tissue. And so it, it actually makes the muscle that a person has less functional. This is why people get weak as they age. And so mm -hmm. making sure that you are concentrating on fat loss and strengthening muscle at the same time, it actually becomes more of an imperative as you get older. Yeah, to, to extend what you're saying, Tani, and also what you've said, Efrat, to, to life in general, uh, is that you need guidance in life and you need to think about what's 
the best course of action for you. And, you know, so you have to, like you said, look in the mirror and see, see where you're at right now and, and know what it is that you need. You know, if, if you don't want to admit what your weaknesses are, then you're not going to strengthen yourself either physically or emotionally or spiritually. For sure. And I think, you know, there's this uh, trend about intuitive eating, you know, and I think also if you, if you go um, to intuitive training, some people's intuition tells them to eat a donut every day and sit on the couch. So don't trust your intuition if that's where you are. Learn to tell yourself the truth about where you are at that moment. And like I said, remember the moments where you manage to overcome and use that as fuel to keep going. Um, and if we go back to the longevity aspect, I also wanted to add, I don't remember the exact statistics, but the statistics of um, morbidity following um, following a fall um, and a broken hip within three months is alarming. So if you can build strong muscles um, and bones um, that will help to prevent that, Please, God, you will be around for a lot longer with a lot more quality of life. Okay, thank you. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, yeah, I, I do want to say that, you know, pertaining to these times when, um, you know, Am Israel is not, you know, it's it's been very, very difficult these last three months. Um, and I just want to say that, thank God, uh, you know, CrossFit, where I work is in Gosh Etzion, and things have been relatively quiet here and we've had the privilege to stay open. And seeing the gratitude and reactions of the people who walk into the gym every day and train. Um, and you mentioned in the beginning, Tani, about the effects that that training has on, on depression. You know, I always say people people ask me, why do you train? I say, because it's more efficient than sitting on someone's couch and talking about my feelings. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's how it works for me. But um, we've had the privilege of hosting people who have been um, who have had to leave their homes. We have a lot of chayalim on miluim that come and train by us now. And just people, you know, mothers, um, chayalim being soldiers. Soldiers, you know, soldiers who are here in the Goshan Miluim and have an hour to stay, they'll come in and train. Um, mothers who have to, you know, keep going despite the fact that their husbands are not home. And everybody says unequivocally, this is a game changer. The fact that I can come here and train has helped me to keep going. So so use use your training as a tool for life. Efrat, how do people get in touch with you or find out more about you? Okay, so I'm on I'm on Facebook, Efrat Lev, um, on Instagram also, Efrat Lev, um, or look up CrossFit Gush um, on Google. You'll find all the details how to get in touch with me. Excellent. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for joining us on Meaningful Conversations. Be sure to catch our upcoming episodes as we dive into more intriguing topics. Don't miss out. Hit that like button, subscribe, and share your thoughts on your preferred podcast platform. Your support means the world to us. Until next time, keep the conversation going.